Hello, I'm Ramey. And I'm Beth. And you're listening to Brother Knows Quest, the podcast where I, your host, tell my sister about the wonderful world of tabletop role-playing games. Do you have any clue what we're talking about today, Beth? No. I didn't figure. Well, Beth, imagine we are sitting around drinking our coffee that our butler made us. We have our Halloween decorations put up because it's fast approaching. And all of a sudden, you get a notification. The city of New York has been wiped out what appears to be a giant nuclear firestorm. I don't live in New York. No, but you live in Boston, Massachusetts. Oh, okay. So it's a bit alarming. So you grab your family, your new baby, and run to a fallout shelter. Okay. It's fallout. Yeah, this is fallout. War, war never changes. The United States of America is no more. It was destroyed when the world's nuclear warheads were launched. The ensuing apocalypse brought it into both the Great War and civilized world at the same time. In its place exists the Wasteland. You're kind of familiar with this setting, aren't you? Somewhat, yeah. It is a 1950s theme, like all the cars are long. and mm-hmm. But instead of what happened in our past, we kind of got scared of nuclear weaponry and all that and nuclear power. They didn't. They found out how to use nuclear power to make everything work. Their cars. They made miniature hand-launched nukes. China was the great superpower other than America. And America at the time had divided itself into, I think, 13 commonwealths with a few states inside of them. So there was the federal government, then the commonwealth government, and then the state government instead of just federal and state like we have. Another big thing is we annexed Canada when China started becoming a bit hostile. We were really good at robotics and China was really good at stealth fields. They could make things invisible. It became a resource war. They wanted oil and stuff to keep their fleets going. And America, being the more atomic nation, had to defend Anchorage, Alaska, which is a whole state. So they attacked Alaska, the Chinese did. We took Alaska back And then shortly after all this, the big war broke out and it only lasted a day. But knowing it was going to happen, they created these giant vaults. The government did. The U.S. government. They run by a vault tech and they would store people in these vaults for future generations. They all had a problem, though. Most every one of them, anyway, had a secret agenda. Someone would study psychological behavior by putting one man and everybody else be a woman or one woman and everybody else be a man. One man was in his vault alone with just a group of puppets. Some vaults, which were control vaults, actually served their purpose. They would go in there, be safe, come out at a certain point of time, and try to rebuild the world. They did give some vaults a thing called a gek, and basically whoever activates it gets sacrificed, but it can make a patch of, well, a Garden of Eden, pretty much. It brings things to life and all this good stuff. Few people out west have activated their geks. There's places like Vault City and the New California Republic, which are just governments rebuilding on the ashes. And a lot of it started because of a geck. Most vaults, they don't. There's these terrible things. There was a virus going around back before the war, and they took it and made it into something that was going to try to force evolution on people, the forced evolutionary virus. That has gone bad in the wasteland. Some people turn into super mutants because of it. Giant, hulking, green creatures that are violent and they can't breathe. And the only way to make more of them is to dump humans in this fluid and turn them into super mutants. Also, the atomic era led to the creation of intelligent robots. You have things like Mr. Handy's. Looks like an octopus, three arms, floating on a little jet propulsion thing. It has three eye stalks sticking out the top of its round head. They would take care of everything from your baby to your car, your house cleaning. There were butlers or nannies or nurses. And the military had a few called Mr. Gutsies. Their hands were basically just guns and plasma weapons or uh, flamethrowers. Anyway, the game we were talking about is Fallout, the role-playing game, the tabletop version. They also had Fallout Wasteland Warfare. But it was more of a a minis game, an army strategy game, I guess. I really don't know. I never played these military-style tabletop games. But this is more of a role-playing game, so you can play as all kinds of things in this game. 
it is mostly in the Fallout 4 setting, but just before the vault opens. So it's just before Fallout 4 takes place. It's a recognizable place for people who've played Fallout 4 without all the influence that the character might have had from Fallout 4 yet. You played in another Fallout game. The one I ran was on a modded Cypher system game because they didn't have this game when I ran it. Mm-hmm. And it took place in our local town of Abingdon in Virginia. Uh, the vault was underneath the Martha Washington Inn. I thought it was under Abingdon High School. Oh, it was. That's because there's actually one there, an old fallout shelter. Yeah. Yeah, it's been it's a few It's used for storage now. Lots of chairs. The sign's still up. Yeah. This game's different. It runs on a different side of dice. It's got like, I'll explain the dice and a little bit of the mechanics later on when I talk about the characters in the actual video game. You get a pit boy. It's a computer on your arm run by little fusion cores. Some of them have, uh, what do you call them, uh, vacuum tubes. You know how like old 50s tech had vacuum tubes? Well, some of them have those in the imagery and the older games and everything because it is a lot of old tech mixed with new fusion stuff that's how the video games the world is there it's a computer on your arm but it does a lot more than ours does and it's still in like the old black screen of green text style stuff that you'd get from older pcs mm. it's a beautiful setting i don't know how else to put it i think of a wasteland a world the world you know with a few familiar places but also a few odd places you wouldn't expect like general atomics which is a robot manufacturer or um robco because i remember his name is robert house so he made Robco, who makes Protectrons and other robots like that. You can use multiple settings, not just uh, the Commonwealth, which is what they call Boston area now. Yeah, you can explore the horrifying and puzzling experiments of vault Tech, become mercenaries protecting or preying on trade caravans and settlements, trying to make it to the big time with enough caps to live in the post-apocalyptic equivalent of luxury. Caps is what you use as currency, like bottle caps, because being in a nuclear-driven world... The uh, soda of the time wasn't Coca-Cola. It was Nuka-Cola. When you drink it in the game, it does give you some rads. But it was all made before the war. So this was a big deal back then. But we have Radaway, which is a medicine in the game that just gets rid of rads. We don't have that now. You find yourself up against the Elusive and Dangerous Institute. It's uh, another organization that lives under the old MIT building. Massachusetts Institute of Technology. They make synthetic people and replace people with them. Kind of creepy. But... You know, like I said, you don't have to do this in the Boston area. You can do it out west where the new California Republic is. Or perhaps you're just a group of wanderers searching for your place in the wasteland and trying to rebuild humanity. You can play as vault dwellers, wastelanders, ghouls, super mutants, or beloved robotic Mr. Handys. Ghouls are people who got irradiated but didn't die. A very few cases that happens. They get so irradiated they live almost indefinitely. And their skin starts to peel off so they look like a ghoul. They look like a zombie almost. They call regular people smooth skins. And a lot of people don't like them because a lot of ghouls go feral and they will just attack people on sight. So when you see one, usually they'll try to say something first so that you know they're not feral and just attack him on sight. Uh, but a lot of them are feral. They just screech and run at you and try to rip your eyes out. I want to play as a Mr. Handy. Yeah. It just looks cool. I think you or Joey one had a bunch of Mr. Handys when we played. Uh, they found one of the old vineyards near Abingdon that was ran by a few Mr. Handys and they repaired them. <laughs> uh, but they I repaired remember. it badly. So they only had one arm. And it was like a pair of shears. <laughs> Mr. Or, Hand. Yeah. <laughs> one arm and one eye handy. <laughs> did you see the picture of the cooking station? I did, but let me see it. Yes, it's an old coal stove in it. Yes, that's what it looked like at Rainbow. Oh, wow. For the ones that would feed you. <laughs> I love the world of Fallout. It's probably my favorite Bethesda game. And that's the reason I'm talking about this right now, because Bethesda made a lot of the newer games. And they also just came out of Starfield. So I thought it was a good time to talk about Fallout. Modifius, I should say, created this tabletop game. It has a starter set, a core book, 
a DM kit you can get that has a GM screen uh, module in it you can run. They have caps, which you keep track of your action points, I do believe, with this. They have cap cutouts. You can pop them out of the cardboard and you can count out how many action points you start the game with. Because the video game action points are on your pit boy and they will track. You have the thing called VATS that the pit boy gives you access to. It lets you target a particular person or creature's specific body parts and shoot them to get criticals and stuff like that on like their head or legs or whatever. In this, its action points are used for that and other things I'll explain later. They use specialty dice. You can use regular dice, but I recommend getting the specific Fallout dice because they have, you know, all the stuff written on them that kind of is necessary in the book as a section that tells you what to, um, they have a crit hit area, like they have a, a D20, it's like right arm, left leg, head, right leg, torso, it tells you what you hit when you do that stuff. Also, Fallout 76 is in the Appalachia region of West Virginia. There's the Mothman, which is another reason I brought this game this week. Because we're doing our Mothman episode on horrific history and hauntings. Is that the TNT area? The igloos with all the contamination? Yes. They have the Mothman Museum. They have Point Pleasant in the game and everything. I'm pretty sure they actually do have the TNT area in the game. It would make sense. It would go with it. I didn't know what it was at the time when I came across it in the game. Mm -hmm. But there was little bunkers. I couldn't get into most of them at the time. But now that I think about it, probably exactly what that is. A little group of bunkers all put together and i thought it was weird they were so close together i think they even called them bunkers and didn't call them explosive igloos if you have to listen to horrific history and hauntings this uh, week's episode the no, mothman it'll be uh, the episode that comes out um i think the 13th of september so when this comes out it might already be out it's the mothman episode horrific history and hauntings our other podcast i've told you a little bit about the world let me tell you about the game mechanics and then i'll go over some of the character creation stuff because it is some of the best part of the game. Two types of dice in this use a d20 and d6s. Ideally, you want at least two d20s per person and um, at least four d6s. They're called combat dice, the d6s are. They have a special symbol on the ones that come with the starter kit, which is the Vault Boy. He's like the mascot for Fallout. He's in the Vault jumpsuit. Every Vault has a jumpsuit, like a blue jumpsuit of gold. That's like Vault Tech's colors. So when you go to the Vault, they put you in a blue jumpsuit with the vaults number on the back. There were so many vaults made. The cover of the starter set has 95, so I take it Vault 95 has a big to do about... Uh, I haven't read all through the starter set. I read the main book. Anyway, the D6s are called combat dice. They recommend you use the custom D6s and the D20s, but you don't have to. There's a chart in here that tells you what numbers represent what in the special dice they got. So if you want to roll regular D20s and D6s, you can buy them on Modifius.net. This isn't sponsored by Modifius or anybody. I just really like Fallout. And none of their stuff is ever sponsored, I should say. I'll tell you if it is. I think I'm required to tell you if it is. Yeah. Uh, I might put affiliate links and stuff, but it's not sponsored. You need some counters to keep track of your action points. Poker chips, beads, or other things like that. We also have caps. I have a box of caps that I bought. They were meant to be used with the Wasteland Warfare game, but I use them for this game instead. So I got Nuka-Cola caps. Also, the starter set comes with a bunch of caps made of cardboard. That's handy. And when it comes to rolling the dice, first you choose an attribute plus your skill. The game master chooses what attribute and skill you need to roll. Add together the attribute and the skill. This is your target number for each d20. You can suggest which attribute and skill, but the GM usually has the last say. Uh, your target number is the number each d20 must roll equal or under to generate success. So you have to roll under your target number on this game. The difficulty is usually normally between one and five. You have to roll under on those d20s. You know, you roll a dice pool, not just one d20. Yeah, ideally, you'll be rolling quite a few D20s. I think the most you'll be able to roll is five D20s, depending on how well you are at the subject. So you get extra 
D20s in your hand to roll. It's a dice pool. And for every one that rolls under or at your target number, it's a success. So he'll say a difficulty of two. You roll a handful of D20s, however many you get, and hopefully you get at least two at or under your target number. You can buy up to three more D20s by spending action points. After you've added your extra dice from the spending action points and all that, you then roll the entire dice pool, like I said. If the skill you're using is a tag skill, which is what you'll get when you create your character, you have certain tagged skills, you score a critical success for each die which rolls equal or less than your skill number. So if it's a tag skill, it's considered a crit when you roll and succeed on that. Uh, each 20 you roll on a d20, though, generates a complication. I'll explain what those are later, because uh, rolling high is bad in this game. Each success above the difficulty, like you needed two of the rolls to be under your number, uh, so you roll three of them. Each success above that becomes an action point to add back to your action points. You can spend them later. And the Game Master describes the outcome. Here's an example. Nate, which is probably not coincidentally, the same name as the character you play as in Fallout 4 if you play the guy and don't change his name. His name is Nate. Needs to find out if Codsworth, that's his Mr. Handy, is okay. He's been on his own for 200 years. His test is difficulty one, and he must make a charisma plus speech check. So his charisma is seven. His speech is two, so he adds it up. He's got nine, so he's got to roll a nine or under on Nate's two d20s. He didn't buy any extra. Mm-hmm. Checking the results separately, and he rolls a five and a 19. Because the five is equal or below Nate's target number, he scores one success, which all he needed was a one. Passes Codsworth describes how hard it's been trying to keep the house clean for two centuries. By the way, in Fallout 4, it's been out for years now, so a spoiler. Fallout 4, your character... Your wife and your baby, or your husband, depending on who you play as, is cryogenically frozen. That was the secret of that vault. They told you you were going to be decontaminated in these big bins, and you got in the bins, and they froze you for 200 years to see how that worked on a human body. That was their test. You were supposed to be there indefinitely, but somebody let you out. Everybody else is pretty much dead. Uh, Your baby's been kidnapped. Your wife's been shot, or husband, depending on, like I said, who you play as. And your job is to go out and find your baby. I don't want to. Yeah, most people don't. They get out of there and immediately go off wandering the wasteland, join some faction to play as. Some example difficulties, uh, gathering rumors around a settlement or something like that is a difficulty zero. You shouldn't really roll for it. You just kind of check out people and talk to them. Shooting a target at close range is like a one. Breaking down a reinforced door is a two. Identifying an unknown poison is a three. Hacking complex computers is a four. Convincing an enemy to stand down is a five. So imagine having to roll five successes on a handful of dice. And if you roll a one on a d20, though, it's a critical success, since low is better. A critical success generates two successes. You know, it wouldn't be that hard to get four if you rolled a crit on one, and you already had four dice, and maybe you got the other ones. You know, you could probably work it out. And for each success you get over your target number, you get to add some action points to your character. If you roll a d20 and get a 20, you get the complication. It makes the games more difficult. It comes into effect once the test has been resolved. It can introduce problems like a gun jamming, breaking a lockpick, or it could make a specific test with your skill more difficult in the future. But it does mean you still pass. Just because you rolled a complication don't mean you can't pass. It just means there will be something unpleasant in the future in some way. And if the game master can't come up with a reasonable complication, they gain one action point to use with their non-player characters against you in the future. Also, you can use your action points to buy D20s, you can obtain information, ask the game master a single question about a current situation, reduce time it might take for you to do a specific test so you can get it done quicker, take an additional minor action, take an additional major action if you've spent two action points, or to add an extra combat die to your roll, which determines the damage. The game master has action points. They have one AP action point per player when the start of the game, and they can gain more depending on what's going on. As a character, you can buy action points if you don't have any more to spend. You can buy them by giving the GM an action point 
you get an extra d20 to roll. So basically, the only way you can buy an action point is if you need to roll d20 for something. You can buy d20s, give the GM a action point to use against you later. You can, that's dangerous, though, because you never know what he's going to use it on. Something he really wants to hurt you somehow. You have luck points. You have a luck skill in this game. You can spend to shift the odds in your favor a number of different ways. When you start each quest with a number of luck points equal to your luck attribute, you can spend one luck point to introduce a helpful factor detail about the situation and the situation you're in, something you'd have to be lucky to encounter. You can stack the deck, spend one point of luck before you attempt a skill test to use luck instead of the attribute you would normally use. If your luck skill is particularly high, that'd be useful. Lucky timing, a combat encounter. At the start of any round or immediately after any other character or creature has acted, you may spend one luck point to interrupt the normal initiative order. I just want to say I'm going to go now because I'm lucky. Uh, and you can also spend one or more luck points to re-roll dice in a pool you roll. You may re-roll 1d20 or up to three combat dice, the d6s. Now, when you start a Fallout game, you choose your attributes. And Vault Tech has a nice way of doing this. You know, when you were living in a vault... They have to keep track of what people should do. They kind of job place you in a way. And a lot of times that's because of your special, your strength, perception, endurance, charisma, intelligence, agility, and luck. They shorten it and call it special. You are special. And this is what's special about you. <laughs> you add those points into there. It's kind of like D&D's mm-hmm. dexterity and all that stuff. Well, luck is the only oddball one. But a lot of people like to play luck builds. And in Fallout 4, you could find your baby's special book. It's like a book that says, you're special in the front. It's like a kid's book. Yeah. You pick it up and it lets you add one point to any of these you want, which is a big deal. That's one extra point towards a whole lot of things in the game. The skill list, we have athletics, which is, of course, strength, barter, which is charisma, big guns, which is uh, endurance, using heavy weapons such as miniguns and fat mans, which is the fat man is what launches tiny nuclear weapons like a missile launcher. Yeah, they blow up entire buildings. Energy weapons, which is perception, explosives, perception, lockpick, perception, medicine, intelligence. Melee weapons is strength. That makes good sense. Pilot, flying or driving, is perception. Uh, Repair is intelligence. Science is intelligence. Small guns is agility. Sneak is agility. Speech is charisma. Survival is endurance. Throwing is agility. And unarmed attack is, of course, strength. Okay. Okay, here's the backgrounds, or the classes, I guess you could say. A Brotherhood Initiate. Born from the terrible revelations of the Mariposa Rebellion, Roger Maxson formed the Brotherhood of Steel, so that his people, and eventually the rest of the survivors in the New World, would have something to believe in. With its own mythology, creed, and hierarchy, the Brotherhood of Steel's primary goal is to recover and preserve technology of the pre-war world. With the Great War disrupting humanity's access to technology, the Brotherhood, Knights, and Scribes do all they can to secure the technology of the past for the needs of the future generations. They are more like a knightly brotherhood than a branch of the military now. And they have a trait, if you choose this as your background. The chains that bind is their trait. You gain one additional tag skill, which must be one energy weapon, science, or repair. Because they're all about technology, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But you must obey any order given to you by a higher, like a knight or something. You don't yeah. come across them that often, but if you do in this game... It might make it difficult on your character to always be stuck having to do things like that. Yeah. Um, you're a ghoul, necrotic post-human, one of many ragtag survivors who weren't lucky enough to get into a vault tech facility. You may have been born after the war and over time developed a necrotic mutation. You come from Vault 12 in Bakersfield, California, maybe, whose vault door did not close, exposing the population to radiation. Well, There's, that's a fail. Yeah. Uh, who knows if it was on purpose, though? <laughs> this is vault tech. You may have taken refuge in a ghoul settlement like Underworld in the Capital Wasteland, and you have ventured out recently to explore, scavenge, and survive. Uh, Civilized ghouls such as yourself also fear possible degeneration into a frenzied feral nature. 
but you have a couple of useful skills for taking on a ghoul character. You're immune to radiation damage. In fact, you are healed by it. You age at a much decreased rate. You're probably older than your unmutated companions. You may even have survived the Great War of 2077. You could play a super mutant. Brutal mutated human forced into evolution through experiments by twisted science of the pre-war and post-war world. Infected with the forced evolutionary virus, FEV, your body has mutated into a tall, muscular killing machine filled with rage. Bane. <sighs> yeah, sort of. Or a Hulk. Yeah, that they are pretty stupid, but a lot of times you come across some pretty intelligent ones in the games if you find ones that's willing to talk to you and not try to kill you. Oh, so Bane. Yeah. They're not as common to find friendly ones as ghouls. You find friendly ghouls a whole lot more often. But when you do come across a friendly super mutant, they can also be stupid friendly ones, though. I've met one who, uh, in Fallout 4, who's hunting for the milk of human kindness because it knows that's what makes humans stronger. He thinks it's literally something he needs to find. Oh. Yeah. Somebody's helping. <laughs> well, to be fair, if he ever finds it, I would love to know. What it is. <laughs> what makes up human kindness, please. Yeah, where do you uh, find that? Uh, I think the first game, Fallout, the original game, uh, it was a top-down asymmetric kind of thing. You come out of your vault to find a water-chipped uh, make your because your vault was a control group vault so it mm -hmm. wasn't really meant to break well when you get out there you find your water chip after a long time you also find out that certain people have been disappearing and this is when they find out super mutants this is a spoiler for a game that came out in the 90s uh the master's army which is a mutated dude who doesn't look like a super mutant he's like a brain attached to a uh, entire control room of a vault he's just grown over the thing because he got so evolved and messed up by the fev and he controls other super mutants, and he's got them bringing people to drop in vats of FEV stuff to turn into super mutants because he thinks that's the only way humanity's going to survive is if they're all super mutants. You don't realize they can't breed in the species that die out. You can convince him that in the end, and he will kill himself and the whole group. But a few of them survived. And he also made the smartest generation of mutants. So without the master, most of the newer ones, when they find something to turn other people into mutants, they are stupid. But, um... You may have been a part of the Master's Army at the Mariposa Military Base in California, or probably, most likely, if that's the case, you were an um, unwilling human victim, <laughs> just dropped into a vat. But they have a couple of traits. Your initial strength and endurance attributes are increased plus two each, because you are huge. Your maximum strength and endurance are increased to 12, but your maximum intelligence and charisma are both reduced to six. So you can never get over six of those uh, intelligence and charisma. But you can at least go up to 12 instead of just 10 in endurance and strength. Because normal characters can only go to 10. And you stand over 7 feet tall with a body that is bulky and muscular. Your skin is green, yellow, or gray, regardless of what color it was when you were human. And you don't seem to age. But you are sterile. You can only wear armor which has been made to fit a super mutant. And Mr. Handy, my favorite. Uh, General Atomics International Robot. Mr. Handy. Exploded onto the robotic market as a reliable construction robot, known for its durability and ease of maintenance. But its real breakthrough came in a collaboration with Rob Cope to produce a domestic model. So Mr. Handys are also made with Robco and General Atomics. See, I did not know that. You are one of these domestic automatrons produced sometime between 2037 and 2077, seeking to provide every household in America with butler-like servitude. Many Mr. Handy models exist, and you could come from any of these Mr. Handy, Mr. Gutsy, Miss Nanny, and Mr. Orderly series. You're powered by a nuclear core, can replace your own fuel, 
and repair yourself or other Mr. Handy units. Three mechanical arms and three mechanical eye stocks and your jet propulsion keeps you afloat. Attachments your arms can have. One 10mm auto pistol attachment. One buzzsaw. One flamer, which is like a flamethrower obviously. One laser emitter. And one pincer to pick up normal things. You can pick what you want. Weren't these meant for cleaning and household chores? Yeah, but... um. How are they going to do that now, when they have... In Fallout 3, they had the uh, buzzsaw robot with the flamethrower attachment and a claw. And when it was time for him to cut my birthday cake in Fallout 3, he used the buzzsaw and the cake exploded. But he was also the cook, so somehow it all worked. I guess the one pincer made all the difference for the cooking. Mm-hmm. He also had the flamethrower, so that makes sense for cooking, maybe. Yeah. I'll trade you a Roomba for one of those. Oh, I would in a heartbeat. <laughs> I'd probably take the auto pistol, the laser emitter, and the pincer. I like the idea, the auto pistol and laser emitters. I guess they could say they use them to clean bathrooms. The pistol's just for home defense. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Or you could say you're a Mr. Gutsy. Now, I would say for you, Beth, look up the Mr. Handy in that book you got there. What are you looking at now? A Mr. Handy with turkeys and a a shotgun. That's duck or geese. That is a, I don't know what kind of Mr. Handy that is, but I've never seen one with that. Uh, He's got a shotgun in one pincer and the other pincer he's got geese he's got a what do you call those hats uh like a i guess a bird hunting hat it's got the long ear covers Um, it's plaid and it's got a bill on it like a normal baseball hat i think of people in cold areas ice fishing yeah canada (laughs) he looks like a hunter a stereotypical hunter but he's a robot with his thrusters and his he's does got a buzzsaw so at least he can skin these or defeather these things i guess i don't really know how that's going to work for him here's your traits as a mr handy you have 360 degree field of vision Improved sensory systems that can detect smells, chemicals, and radiation. Reduce the difficulty of perception tasks by one. That's not bad. Um, You can choose not to have a pincer attachment as a Mr. Handy, but in doing so, you will be unable to make unarmed attacks, manipulate objects, and you cannot attempt to test that as lockpick repair or throwing because you have no no limbs, (laughs) no no digits to do things with. Uh, You could also play as a survivor, somebody whose family just descended and survived outside in this wasteland. The whole time. You are the living legacy of the people who prepared for Armageddon on their own. You are only alive in the post-nuclear apocalyptic landscape because your forebears dug in, survived, and found community enough to continue humanity's existence. Settlements, isolated shelters, and traveling groups that uh, sparsely populate the wasteland from the west coast to the east coast. That's where you're from. New California Republic, you join the Minutemen on this coast, which is a group of, kind of like the Minutemen in the Revolutionary War. They are a group of small, you know, volunteers from each settlement that take care of everybody else. And if somebody's in danger, they all band together from different settlements and help. You can join that and follow that for Traits. You may choose two of the following traits, or one trait with one additional perk as a wastelander. You're educated, you're a fast shot, you're gifted, choose two more special attributes with the means. You're heavy-handed. Your melee damage does plus one extra die. And small frame, you may re-roll a d20 on agility tests, which rely on balance or coordination. Endurance means you have an additional tag skill. I should have said that. So it's a very well-rounded option for you here, just playing a survivor from the wasteland. And Vault Dweller, which is what you normally play as in a Fallout game. You don't really have an option. I guess you can become a Brotherhood Initiate if you join the Brotherhood Steel, so you get both. When the bombs were falling... 
you or your predecessors were lucky enough to find safety in one of the 122 vault deck facilities. Deep underground, protected by thick blast doors and layers of rock and concrete, your family either had enough money to buy their space or randomly selected to enter the vault to be saved from nuclear devastation above. Perhaps only to be condemned to immoral experiments run by vault Tech. That was in the fine print. Yeah. You are free from mutation and disease. The vault you came from used you as a human cis subject, uh, manipulating your uh, understanding of the world and your behavior in order to study you. Whether through design or poor planning, many of the vaults were not well stocked to prepared for the long wait until nuclear fallout had reached safe levels outside. Many fell into disrepair or out of supplies. Many vault dwellers sought help from the surface, which is, you know, how you got into the first Fallout game. So, that might be why you're out here for supplies, help for your vault. Trait, Vault Kid. Your healthier start to life at the hands of trained doctors and sophisticated autodocs means you reduce the difficulty of all endurance tests to resist the effects of disease. In addition, your carefully planned upbringing means you have one additional tag skill of your choice. You could also choose to play as a ghoul vault dweller. You gain necrotic post-human trait instead of vault kid trait. You also may choose one of the Vault Dweller equipment packs when you make your character, which I ain't going into equipment in this game. That goes very deep. Beth, how would you like to play this game, knowing about the new dice and everything? It might be, since it's specifically made for this setting, I'd say you wouldn't have a hard as a time as my modded Cypher System game. Are you going to give me more than just a stick to beat off roaches? I suppose I can give you a 10mm pistol. Okay. Okay, depending on what vault you're from. Yeah, even on Fallout 3, you exited a vault with a stick. A baseball bat, a stiletto, and a pistol if you did well. So, I guess I can give you more than just a shock baton. I thought the shock baton would be perfect, though. No. It was rad roaches. Oh, by the way, this game, if you don't know, has roaches that have been radiated and evolved, and they're larger. They're about as big as chihuahuas. The mosquitoes are, too. Yeah, you've been looking through that section? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much everything, and it says the mosquito is one of the smaller ones. Yeah, they, uh, they, they do, what do you call them, um, blood wigs or something like that? Blood... Blood bugs. Blood bugs, yeah. They suck your blood out. And oh, that's nice. I don't remember. I, I try to avoid them in the game because I have to have a shotgun to hit them. They're so, yeah. so quick. There's also the poor little mole rat. Oh, yeah. They dig underground and then chew your legs off. Yeah. Here's the set of dice that came at the starter set. What's with the body parts? Uh, remember I told you you could roll a crit to see or a targeted spot to, to hit certain areas with vats in the video game? I guess that's their way of uh, telling you what you are going to hit when you roll well. Or you could roll against you. Somebody could be, the GM could be rolling against you and they're going to see where they hit you. It's actually a very useful thing. It ain't the first time I've seen them. They've been in other games. You can add them into D&D too. Hmm. Would you play this? Yeah, as long as I get more than just a stick. What would you play as? Um, probably the robot. Mr. Handy. But I don't know. There's. Remember when I told you the Institute made synthetic people and replaced them sometimes? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you could also play as a synth. I didn't mention that, but it is a optional. That's what that was. Yeah. Now, those the ones you're looking at are like a old first-gen synths. They look like mannequins on the move, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the newer third-gen. They look human. They have blood and everything. Like, you could sneak by the game playing as a synth, and there's sections in here that cover how to do that, too, if you want to play as a synth, because they have their own perks, like... Radiation resistance and everything. Matter of fact, um, remember how I told you maxing out your s- skills, like your specials? Yeah. You only go to 10 if you're a normal person. The newest generation of synth, all their stats, they're all set to 8, all their special attributes. So they're almost maxed out on everything. That's how 
perfect they are. They are called Corsairs, and they are the Institute's best military force. Mm. I love the Institute, though. These are robots. Oh, you found the General Atomics and stuff robots, didn't you? How do you like the setting? Like a 50s nuclear but advanced situation. It's like what America in the 50s and those uh, commercials for electronics and all that, Mm -hmm. gadgets. It's like what they thought the world would be in 2077. That's what this seems like. Yeah. Because if you notice back then, they still had rounded vehicles and stuff in those advertisements. Yeah. But they... Uh, Stubbs the zombie. Yeah, Stubbs the zombie. That's exactly what I think of. Um, The city of the future. Things are... Were much, much prettier if it would have been that way. Yeah, it would have been. I still like the 50s. Look, not so much the politics. Um, <laughs> look forward to our second Mothman episode when it comes out. Horrific History and Hauntings. We should have one when we get back from going on a trip up that way. Mm. We just talk about what we did up there. Yeah. If you think you want this game, like I said, it's not sponsored, but we do have affiliate links for both Drive-Thru RPG and Amazon. So if you want the digital version of this or the starter set, and there's a free quick start guide on Drive-Thru RPG. I'll leave the links to the DriveThruRPG affiliate links and the Amazon physical copy affiliate links in the description of this episode. If you're watching on YouTube, you'll find the link to our website or you can find the regular podcast in the description. If you're listening to the podcast, you'll find the link to our YouTube channel in the description. We also have another podcast we do called Horrific History and Hauntings. We've talked about it a little bit. It's where we talk about horrific history or hauntings or both. And my sister is the one that talks mostly there in that one. Because she does all the research, and I'm just here as a passenger to comment occasionally on what I think these people are doing wrong. <laughs> um, also, I have one with my friend Dakota where we talk about video games. I've been talking about Starfield the last couple episodes. Uh, normally, it's one week he does something, one week I do something. It's about a game we really like. If you want to leave a review on YouTube or on any podcast player you're listening to us on, that'd be nice. We would enjoy that. We don't get much feedback. We have our Twitter and our social links in the description as well. If you want to reach out about this particular podcast, do it through our Twitter. That's the one I'm in charge of. My sister has her own email for Horrific History and Hauntings. Thank you very much for listening. I've been Raymond. And I'm Beth. And this has been Brother News Quest. Goodbye.